Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. From the territories to Titan Towers to TNA and all points in between, he's seen and done it all. And now he's here to share the real story behind wrestling's biggest moments, controversies, and characters. The MLW Radio Network presents Something to Wrestle with Bruce Pritchard. Hey, hey, it's Conrad Thompson, and you're listening to Something to Wrestle with Bruce Pritchard. Bruce, what's going on, man? How are you? Well, I hope everybody had a very Merry Christmas and is ready for 2017. I'm ready. This week, we decided to switch it up a little bit and asked you, what would you hashtag love to know? Uh, so just here for the next little bit, we're actually just going to pick Bruce's brain. And we went to Twitter. We gave you very simple instructions on what to do here. Tweet at Pritchard show. If you haven't already go follow at Pritchard show on Twitter. And then if you would just tweet your question using hashtag love to know, we would do kind of a rapid fire Q and a with Bruce this week, uh, and a peek behind the curtain. We're doing that because lots of people have new year's Eve travel plans. So normally we would tape this on a Thursday sometimes even Friday morning. Uh, we're taping this on a Tuesday afternoon so everybody can kind of get where they need to be for this weekend uh, when Alabama wins the college football playoff roll tide. Uh, so let's go ahead and get right into Twitter, but it wouldn't be us if I didn't yell, what happened when? And why was it decided to have the Royal Rumble winner face the champ at Mania? That question comes to us from Alan Foster on Twitter. Bruce, I don't remember. Originally, of course, the early Royal Rumbles, it was just a match. You had a winner, and that was it. When did the consequence become, okay, you're number one contender, and you get it at Mania? Do you remember whose idea that was and how that came about? This is going to sound like just a uh, humble brag if you just keep asking me kind of this, this kind of shit. It was actually my idea, and it was the way to give the Royal Rumble a little bit of meaning for years, the rumble was used as kind of like the king of the ring, another way to almost like a championship in a, in a way. Right. Uh, the winner of the Royal Rumble had bragging rights, and I thought that the idea could be why why not have it 
be for something, and that something be a shot at the WWF Championship. And the first year that we did it was right before WrestleMania 9 with Yokozuna winning and that honor going to him to face Bret Hart at WrestleMania. It was a good idea. Uh, you mentioned it, so let's uh, shift gears. And you're going to notice, guys, we're not going to go uh, long in the tooth on any of these. We're trying to get to as many of your questions as possible. We won't get to them all. We will do this again someday, depending on, you know, how we like this at the end. Uh, DJ Lewis on Twitter wants to know, why was the King of the Ring canceled as an annual pay-per-view? Vince didn't like it. Uh, it was probably our lowest as far as sales uh, throughout the year, the, it's, which is crazy because in territorial days, the summer months were the money months. Right. And for the WWF, the summer months were usually our slower months, but the pay-per-views in the summer uh, didn't do all that well. And King of the Ring wasn't a large grossing pay-per-view, and Vince wasn't really crazy about it after a while and decided to change it up some. Uh, we're going to delve into some rumor and innuendo here. Matt Davis on Twitter wants to know more about the alleged quote-unquote list from 1992 of new potential faces uh, of the WWF eventually chosen to be Brett. So he's referencing the transition period here where we're moving away from Hogan and we're now we're going to try to select somebody else to kind of be the face of the company. Uh, do you remember there being such a list of guys? <laughs> no, there was no list. It was simply a move at the time to kind of skew younger. Rick was, uh, Rick Flair was a champion and business was down and Vince was looking for something new and something fresh and wanted to move in a different direction. And Bret Hart got the nod due to Bret's popularity, uh, especially internationally. So Bret got the, got the nod. Let's try him as a champion and see how he does domestically and everywhere else. Uh, Alan Foster on Twitter wants to know, was Jeff Jarrett always supposed to be caught not singing in the storyline? Yes, that was the idea and it was going to be revealed. And we actually had recorded a music video with road dog singing the song because road dog is the one who actually sang spend my days working hard on the go, but the hands on the clock keep spinning too slow. I can't wait to be alone with my baby tonight. And the idea was simply one that uh, Jeff had used Road Dog and had stolen this song and that uh, it would all come out that Jeff was a phony and didn't actually sing the song. And set up a that feud the between idea. them. I'm sorry? And set up a feud between them. And set up a feud between them, yes. Uh, Darren Cavanaugh on Twitter wants to know, what was the most difficult stunt to bring together? Like Boss Man at WrestleMania 15, the taker casket at Royal rumble 98, et cetera. Wow. When you talk stunts, uh, that, that is, that is in and of itself. That's a podcast. I would have to say in the stunt world, um, and, and see, I look at stunts in different way than, than what you do. Uh, having to pull off, putting a ring on wall street and finding out on a Thursday that we were going, that he wanted, uh, he being Vince wanted to put a ring in, on wall street in front of the New York stock exchange. When the WWF 
was going public. Well, and they've gone public on NASDAQ. And when they moved to uh, uh, the New York Stock Exchange, but that was probably the most difficult in a few days. Wall Street had never been closed down ever in the history of Wall Street. And we closed it down at noon on a Tuesday or Wednesday afternoon. And all of the other things that went into pulling that off. Take a timeout. Take a timeout. We're going to go into that when we talk about uh, the WWF going public, even though that's a separate story, we'll fit it that in is. there. That is a, that is a great topic now that we've kind of scratched the surface. See, uh, that's a prelude to, to that, but that was without a doubt the most difficult stunt when we used to stunt stuff. That was crazy. The anti-fascist on Twitter wants to know, was there ever any interest uh, in bringing in the great Muda in the late eighties or early nineties? There was, there was interest. And Pat Patterson and I went to a, um, I guess they were still NWA at the time. They might've been WW or WCW at the time. I don't know when Muda was there with Terry Funk and Gary Hart was managing Muda. 89. That was WCW. That was WCW. Okay. And, and Pat and I went to the event and one of the, let's call, uh, one of our, one of the things we wanted to get accomplished was we wanted to maybe get to Gary Hart and uh, the great Muda, see if there was any interest, but there wasn't. Wow. Okay. Uh, we get this question a lot. I feel like we get it multiple times a week, not just on a and a week like this. Uh, Chris on Twitter wants to know, was Bruce ever involved in negotiations to bring Sting to the WWF? If so, how close was he to coming in? Yes, I was. What years would that have been? Would have been Milwaukee, uh, the main event in Milwaukee. And what year, what the hell year was that? Um, all I remember was being sick as a dog with two big pitchers of fresh squeezed orange juice in my room. It, and was, I uh, it was February of 1989, February of 1989. And, uh, we had been going back and forth and trying to, negotiate with Steve, but it kind of all dissolved right about that time. But yes, there, there had been talks over the years, a lot over the years, just gauging Sting's interest back and forth. And, uh, Sting's a loyal guy stayed where he is and I did pretty well for himself. Uh, Matt Wright on Twitter wants to know, did you ever have any dealing with Fritz von Eric? Was he as difficult to work with as they say? I had very little dealings with Fritz von Erich. Uh, I dealt a lot with Gary Hart. I dealt a lot with Bronco Lubitsch and and people that were subordinates of Fritz von Erich. I maybe dealt with Fritz a handful of time over the years, and, and that was it. But Fritz could be very difficult to deal with. And um, those that liked him loved him, and those that didn't really hated him having to deal with him. Uh, John Lewis on Twitter wants to know probably the only time we'll talk about him. So might as well give us something on Lord Alfred Hayes. <laughs> Lord Alfred Hayes. Uh, you know, as a kid, I used to watch Lord Alfred Hayes in the Sam Houston Coliseum when he, when he would wrestle and Alfred was a character then. And I got to work with Alfred later on in the WWF and, 
drank a lot of scotch. I didn't drink the scotch. Alfred drank a lot of scotch. I drank a lot of vodka. He used to enjoy having uh, scotch with ginger ale. No ice, please. And Alfred was a classy, classy individual and a whole hell of a lot of fun. Uh, Jared on Twitter wants to know a funny story about local talent being used as extras. A funny story about local talent being used as extras. Wow. Anybody ever screw something up or act a fool backstage or I know events, any of that? Wow, I got nothing. Uh, I have no idea. Absolutely right. nothing. Uh, Caracciolo on Twitter wants to know, which vignettes are you most proud to have produced? Which do you think influenced a career of a wrestler the most? The Million Dollar Man vignettes, Mr. Perfect vignettes. Those are, good. Uh, those are the big two that jump out to me. The, those are the big two that I think everybody kind of comes back and points to. The uh, American Dream, Common Man vignettes were oh, yeah. last, and those were a little bit different. The Bushwhacker vignettes. Okay. You talk about fun, spending a week with the Bushwhackers and going around Connecticut doing vignettes with them. That was a lot of fun as well. Who do you think you know, really benefited the most from this vignette treatment, Mr. Perfect or Ted, or Ted DiBiase, Jeff Jarrett. Oh, um, you know, both in different ways. I, I would have to say probably DiBiase more than perfect. Even. I don't think there's a wrong answer. Monster on Twitter wants to know whether any backstage problems between Randy Savage and bad news Brown back in 89, no, none that I can ever recall. Absolutely not. Uh, at TNA for sale on Twitter wants to know, could you talk briefly about Tony Schiavone's brief WWF run? Very briefly. Tony came in and once Vince heard him, I'm not sure that Vince even heard Tony before they hired him. And Tony was hired by Linda McMahon and Vince McMahon was not all that crazy about Tony's commentary and felt that he was too Southern. It's kind of funny when you think about years later, bringing Jim Ross in, right? But Vince wasn't a big fan. And actually I had a good time with Tony when Tony first came in. So I enjoyed Tony's commentary. I thought he was a good play by play guy, but, uh, he was there for a cup of coffee. If you will. Uh, that SummerSlam where he does commentary is still fun to watch. It just feels different with him calling it uh, Johnny on Twitter wants to know uh, any matches that you know of that turned into shoot fights during your WWF or TNA run well the the famous one I guess would be the acolytes and the public enemy yeah but normally a shoot fight they're very quick and and over pretty quickly, so there's not really much to them. But as far as something in the ring that didn't go as planned, that would that would have to be the APA and uh, Public Enemy. We'll uh, we'll circle back to that. We've got another follow up question somewhere in my notes here. Uncle Will on Twitter wants to know: uh, Besides Warrior, who did you and Pat suggest events take the throne from Hulk? Was Sid really considered? I don't know that you know this, Bruce, but there is a, a big legend online that supposedly, if you believe all the rumor and innuendo, as we like to say here on the show, uh, Sid was approached with the opportunity to be the next Hulk Hogan. 
but turned it down saying he really preferred to work a, uh, as a heel, which I found ridiculous. There's no way anybody turns down the opportunity to be the next Hulk Hogan, but you were there. What's real and who else was on that list besides warrior at the time? So this is pre Bret Hart. The question we just covered a few minutes ago. Well, God, Sid was absolutely considered and he had the look, he had the intensity, um, could cut a promo. So Sid was definitely considered, but Sid, uh, had a unique outlook of the business and felt that he was the smartest guy in the room. And it is true that Sid felt he was much stronger as a heel. Well, I mean, no, no I mean, no doubt, but. Are you saying he turned down the opportunity to be the top guy and have Hulk Hogan money because he wanted to be the bad guy? I think Sid felt in his in his way that being a heel that he would get Hulk Hogan money and make Hulk Hogan money. How'd that work and, out? Well, I think we all know how that worked out. Uh, and then and then of course there's softball season too. There you go. Stealing throws the a games. wrench into everything. Uh, Jake Long on Twitter wants to know, Bruce, what's the worst gimmick that was actually used during your time in the WWF? This is a deep subject right here. Cause you guys cranked out a lot of shit. The worst. I'm going to give that one to Friar Ferguson. Wow. The mad monk, Mike Shaw, who was Norman, the lunatic who was mucking sing, uh, ended up being bastion booger. But Friar Ferguson, the Mad Monk, had to be at the top of the shit list. And there's a lot that goes on that shit list. And we're gonna, that's a whole show. We will put bad gimmicks on a pole at some point in the future. Uh, Jim Hall on Twitter wants to know, why do some wrestlers wet their hair? Is it supposed to look like sweat, oil? I always thought it was strange. Well, it is strange, but I guess it gives them a cool look. That's about the best. <laughs> that's about the best explanation I can give. Hell, I used to do it sometimes, so I couldn't tell you why, other than your hair was going to get wet and messed up anyway. Let's just go ahead and start it out that way. AJ Styles is maybe the exception of that rule with a little bit of longer hair. He doesn't wet it. No, he doesn't. Uh, Brock Wilson on Twitter wants to know, uh, best working punch. I think Goldust had one of the best. Um, wow. That's a hell of a question. Terry Funk. Jerry Lawler had a good one. Jerry Lawler had a great one. Jerry's wasn't a working punch though. Heard like hell. <laughs> uh, Jerry, as a matter of fact, Eddie Gilbert used to, used to call it in the ring. Here comes a Memphis punch and God, it hurt like hell. Uh, Chris Hassan on Twitter wants to know, I can't think of a question. So I just want to hear Jim Cornette, Vince, Pat, Savage, and Jerry Jarrett order lunch. God damn. I want a double cheeseburger, extra cheese, double onion, extra mayonnaise, motherfucker. And Mr. McMahon, could I get your order as well? God damn, pal. Uh, turkey, onion. Extra onion. God damn. Good call, Corny. Uh, Mustard on whole wheat. And Mr. Patterson? I don't give a fuck. If you got the Italian sub, put a lot of the oil and the vinegar on it. And uh, Mr. Savage? Mm-hmm. What, what was that that you were having? Yeah, brother. Uh, dig it. Give me what he had. Uh-huh. Yeah. All right. And, uh, in a cup of coffee. Yeah. Mr. Uh, 
Mr. Rhodes, I didn't see you arriving here at the table. As you pull up a chair here, what would you like for lunch, sir? Maybe they got any of that nice little pepperoni pizzas with a little pig, extra pig snout on the side, baby. You know, make it, make it a little funky in there with, you know, with that extra cheese and shit in it on there. Yeah, thank you, baby. I love you, darling. Uh-huh. Mr. Funky may have ridden here with Mr. Rhodes. What would you like? I'd like a couple of eggs over easy, you sorry bastard. Your mother's a whore. Uh, this is getting off the rails here, Mr. Piper, but what would you like? Well, you know, son, <laughs> there was that I saw down there the other day. I like, I like some pasta. Well, go ahead and ask just some marinara. You don't mix it all up in there. Good. Extra garlic. Uh, and, uh, last, but certainly not least, I don't know, Mr. Jarrett, do you have an idea what you'd like to have? Well, you know, you know, you take some, you know, the chicken, you know, and, and you, and you take some walnut, you know, and and you chop them uh, with the grapes, you know, and then, you know, and you mayonnaise and you mix, you know, and, and salt and the pepper and, you know, and, 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 you know, chicken salad, you know. Uh, Dominic on Twitter wants to know, what's the reason why Brian Clark left the WWF in August 95? Uh, is it not getting a big push or just personal issues? August of 95. Was that the atom bomb I time during that time? I assume. Uh, it just, it had run its course. I mean, there wasn't, you know, Brian was a big guy, had the look, man, he, he was another one. If you were to, to design a wrestler, if you will, Brian Clark and that atom bomb gimmick and, and maybe not the atom bomb gimmick, but it was what it was, um, had a great look. It, it's just that damn bell had to ring eventually. And he, he wasn't the greatest, uh, in the ring. He was missing it. He had a great look. He wasn't bad in the ring and wasn't bad on promos either. It just was missing it. It's just a shame, you know, that, uh, it didn't work after he feuded with Quang. Uh, another quick question. Who the hell's Quang? You mean Quang? <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> you goddamn ignorant hillbilly. Yeah. Part- Don't you love it when an ignorant Texan calls an ignorant <laughs> Alabamian an ignorant hillbilly? Quang, Quang. You know. It's, either way, it's the shits, no matter how you pronounce it. Uh, let's get to, I don't remember who asked this one. What the heck was the warrior bleeding during the Papa Shango promo? I wasn't there, but it was purple ooze or green ooze. Okay. Just ooze special effects bullshit from Dr. Paint, who was the special effects guy at the time. That was his name, Dr. Paint. Here's what I like. I like that before you gave us that detail, you thought we would just like run on down to the Walmart and say, hey, where's the purple ooze? Like, that's a fucking thing. Thanks for saying Dr. Paint and qualifying it. Uh, Brad Stutz. It's not a thing. Wow. God damn, pal. Just give me some of that fucking ooze. <laughs> you know, green, purple ooze. God damn. You know, that voodoo ooze. <laughs> uh, Brad Stutz on Twitter wants to know, um, do you have any surprising things that almost happened but fell through, such as Hogan to the WWF in 97 and others we've never heard about? Rather than That's go- not voodoo ooze, you idiot. Oh, I'm sorry. Rather than go through a lot of them, give us one thing that almost happened but fell through. 
Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Wow. Uh, <laughs> there's so many. Here's here's one that I really wanted to happen that didn't happen that I felt would have been huge at the time. And this is when Hulk was in the WWF. He was working a program with Vince. We had done the Mr. America thing where Hulk was wearing a mask. He was feuding with Vince. Everybody knew it was Hulk, but he was under a mask, so you really didn't know for sure. It was just an old-school wrestling angle gimmick. And somebody had pitched an idea about Vince versus Mr. America in the mask of Mr. America versus the hair of Mr. McMahon. And the idea being if, that if Hulk lost and he unmasked, he was banned for life from the WWF. And if Vince lost, he would have to shave his head. And just trying to pick that one, um, whoever suggested that brilliant idea um, felt that people wouldn't be able to pick it because they'd say, well, they're never going to fire Hogan for life, and there's no way Vince is going to shave his head. And... Man, it was on the books, and everybody was on board, and it got X-Nade. Uh, at Pritchard Show, Waylon Mercy. Best story, but why wasn't Mercy pushed more? You got any good Dan Spivey stuff? Why didn't he make a bigger splash? Well, Dan, especially in the later years with the Waylon Mercy stuff, Dan was battling injuries and had really bad knees. I love the Waylon Mercy character. Waylon came in right when I was leaving, and he was still there when I came back, uh, my first run there. But it was it was just his physical restraints in the ring. He couldn't go like he used to, and he, he was just held back by his knees. Uh, do you think he is ahead of his time? I mean, we kind of have oh, yeah. a Bray Wyatt-type character now, but... It feels like he was way ahead of his time here. He he was ahead of his time, and it, to me, was the perfect gimmick for Dan Spivey. It fit Danny, and and Dan did so much with it, and it was it was a lot of fun while it lasted. Um, the Mad Fan on Twitter wants to know, Bruce Pritchard's been around the business for 20-plus years. Who does he think gives the best pile driver? Jerry Lawler. Hard to argue. Or Terry Funk. Uh, and or who? I just think it's funny that they both have the best punch and the best working punch. Uh, the, the best punch and uh, pile driver. 
Well, they're both great workers. We'll tell you. I'm not arguing. No, so is Lawler. I'm not going to knock Lawler. Uh, Sean Wolford on Twitter wants to know what was the biggest or hardest bump that brother love ever took in or out of the ring. Ultimate warrior. Um, everything he gave me hurt. His clothesline sucked. They hurt like hell. He broke my neck. His shoulder tackle hurt like hell. His splash hurt like hell. Um, him just, and I kid you not, this is not an exaggeration or any, him just talking to you and grabbing the microphone and grabbing my hand, holding the microphone hurt like hell. He didn't know how to work. So anything that the ultimate warrior gave you. Uh, Jason on Twitter wants to know what happens when a wrestler slash talent gets behind the curtain after a match or segment. Lots of people talk about this where, you know, they come through the curtain and there's a standing ovation or they come through the curtain and Vince is there with a big hug or they come through the curtain and Vince reads them the riot act. Uh, what about if it's not one extreme or the other? So it wasn't a home run and the greatest thing he's ever seen. And it wasn't something he's slamming a headset over. It's kind of in the middle. What's that like? It's kind of just a lot of thank yous and whoever the agent is pulls them off to the side and they talk about their match. Um, just, just that, I mean, it's, it's a review of what you just did. The worst thing was coming through the curtain and having Vince drop his eyeglasses down and kind of look at you over the top of his nose and give you the finger and ask you to come sit next to him. That's the worst. When you're saying finger, you're saying the come hither pointer finger, not the middle finger. The come hither pointer finger. Yes. Come here, pal. Have a seat. Or if he's throwing headsets, that's always the shits. Uh, the mad fan on Twitter also wants to know why has there never been a war games in the WWE? Vince hated the concept. How about the hell on a sale? What about it? I mean, it's so similar. Is it not? Except for the no. double, except for the double ring piece. Yeah, well, I mean, he, didn't, gonna... he he hates the double ring. He hates the double ring thing. I tried to sell the two ring battle royal for years. Uh, he hated the double ring thing. He didn't like the uh, the guys going in at intermittent times and in the way that it was always done with the heels. Uh, having the favor in the baby faces, but then you you fast forward to elimination chamber. I was fixing to say, like, what's the bit? It feels like Hell in a Cell and Elimination Chamber are just the bastard children of the war games. They are, but it, it was just one of those things. It was WCW creation, and he didn't care for it. That's what he wanted to hear. Uh, John on Twitter wants to know, uh, what was your favorite signing during the Monday Night Wars, and who was the one wrestler you wished you could have kept? Probably my favorite. Uh, my favorite is Eddie Guerrero. Um, but also I got to throw Chris Jericho into that as well. And who do you wish you could have kept? I wish that we could have kept it at the very beginning. I wish we could have kept razor. I think everybody agrees with that. Rob on Twitter wants to know what's the biggest rib that Bruce has ever either been a part of or had happened to him. Oh, wow. Getting talked into doing this podcast. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that's the biggest rib that I've ever been a part of. Um, I, I tell you, one of the funniest was Jerry, this, this is going to require a story. So Jerry Jarrett makes the, the comment one time. I've never been ribbed. Now he made this comment to myself and to Pat Patterson. 
And the uproar from that, like, okay, you've been in this business your whole life and your mom was in the business and so on and so forth. And you say you have never been, I've never been, no one has ever ribbed me. So it might've been made known to folks. Hey guys, good to know. Jerry Jarrett has never been ribbed. So the race was on and that particular uh, day or evening, we were in a, a high school, small high school gym doing TV. It was not in the best of times. And Vince's office was a coach's office. And the, the desk in the office was bolted to the floor. You could not move it. It was, it was drilled in and bolted to the floor. And some bastard had gotten a chain and they had weaved this chain in and out through Jerry Jarrett's uh, briefcase. And they put a giant padlock and handcuffs and various assorted other uh, restraining gimmicks. Uh, so that when it came time to leave, that Jerry's bag was connected to this desk that was bolted to the floor and was just like concrete. And instead of, okay, haha, hey, good rib. All right, let's go find the bolt cutters. Jerry summonsed the police. Oh, my gosh. I kid you not. He got a cop and said, well, th this vandalism, and it happened in Mr. McMahon's office. Why, can you believe someone coming in here and then they did this? So <laughs> they went to get the bolt cutters. And, of course, the cop thought it was one of the funniest things he had ever seen. But they go to get bolt cutters, and the chain was too big for the bolt cutters. In addition to the chain being too big for the bolt cutters, the padlock was too big for the bolt cutters. So they had to find a technician in the building and they had to get a guy with a saw and so on and so forth. And then, um, people started doing investigations, <laughs> but it was what kind of one of those that you had to be there, but it was a statement. I have never been ribbed. And then that night for him, for some bastard to rib him. And for the record, I had absolutely nothing to do with it. Uh, don't cough anybody's name into the microphone. <laughs> They're kid. <clears throat> uh, Chris on Twitter wants to know what was the most bizarre gift that a fan gave you? Probably a handmade ashtray with a, <laughs> with a rolling station <laughs> and a place to put your pot. Okay. It was incredible, and I kept it until I got married. Then there you will, David. It was, but it was, and I know it probably doesn't sound, but it was insane. It was huge, and it was handmade and fire kiln. I mean, it was it was glazed, and it was it was incredible. I was proud of it. I thought it was pretty cool. David on Twitter wants to know, Bruce, do you have any stories about your appearance on the October '97 Michinoku Pro Show in Japan with the Undertaker? 
None I can tell. Um, I just uh, it was it was interesting being in Sumo Hall. The dressing rooms were not really dressing rooms; they were just large rooms. They didn't have um, they didn't have American or Western bathrooms. So that's always a lot of fun in Japan. It's a hole in the floor, right? It's a hole in the floor, yes. But it was it was a neat time because of the history of Sumo Hall and being in Japan and just being with Taker and it was interesting to say the least. Cleveland fan on Twitter wants to know. We got this one a lot, by the way, Bruce. Who was supposed to be behind GTV, and why did it just fade away? Gold Dust and Gold Dust kind of flaked out and. So then we were stuck with this GTV angle and had nobody dependent on. What was the uh, payoff supposed to be originally? That he had been recording all this stuff and that he had dirt on all these people. And who would he, who would he feud with though because of it? Like what was the big? I gonna... wanted I want to say Val Venus at the time. Okay, it was a Russo creation. We got a couple. Of I'm those. not saying that in a bad way. No, it no. Was, it was actually a neat. It was a neat little gimmick. Um, but it didn't get any payoff because Dustin was having personal issues at the time. Mr. Ooh la la on Twitter wants to know what is your favorite angle or gimmick that was on the table, but Vince ended up nixing at the last minute. Besides Bobby Heenan jr. Uh, uh, wow. I don't really, you know, I, I don't really know there, there were a few that you, you kind of figure, hey, this would be great in your head. You're you're thinking about it, but in practicality, they never work out. Um, I don't I don't really remember. I, I, I to say off the top of my head, I don't really have one. Uh, Russatano on Twitter wants to know, Bruce, what are the top three Vince McMahon backstage meltdowns you've witnessed? We got lots of questions about Vince melting down and him just going off tantrums and whatnot. What was the top one or the top three? Have you ever seen it? Which one stands out the most? Any variation of that? If you don't have three and you just want to list one, that's cool. (laughs) Have I ever seen a Vince McMahon meltdown? I'm the subject of 90% of his best meltdowns. Uh, I'm probably what caused most of them. You know, the the best one, I, I won't tell, because when we do, if they ever pick and we ever put him back on a poll, Bill Goldberg is, is probably my, my favorite meltdown. Give me one that we won't do long form one day. That we won't do long form one day. Good God. Um... Again, geez, there are so many. The, the best the best stuff was I was sitting ringside with Vince in the Manhattan Center, and I was producing commentary. So when you're, I had a headset, and I could talk to each of the announcers individually. So I could speak to Vince, and he's the, he's the only one that can hear me, and I override everything in his ear. So as you're going into a commercial break, I would tell Vince, I would say, okay, uh, we're going into commercial. I want you to throw to this package. And he would then know that when he gets a count from Kevin Dunn in his ear, he knows what package he's going to throw to, and he knows where he's going. In addition to that, I would write on a note card, throw to um, such and such, 
you know, throw to WrestleMania promo. Let's say that. And I would write that on a card as a, as a reinforcement, give it to him. So you're saying it and handing it to him. So I'm saying it in his ear. And by the way, I'm sitting right next to him. So I'm saying it in his ear and I am holding a note in front of his run sheet so that the only thing he can see in front of him is his monitor and my note. Yeah. And he's talking and he's talking and he's not throwing to what I want him to throw to. And I've got Kevin Dunn in my ear going, God damn it, Bruce, get him to get him to throw, get him to throw. And I'm nudging him with my elbow and he's looking at me and he's staring at me and I'm pushing down on my microphone, throw to the WrestleMania package and he's not doing it. And I've got a card in my hands says throw to the WrestleMania package and he doesn't do it. And finally, Kevin just goes to it. He says, fuck it. He ain't going to do it. He's, you know, we got to go. We got to go to the package. We got to go to commercial. We get into the break, and Vince takes his headset off and throws his headset down. I was like, God damn it, pal. You got to tell me where the fuck I'm going. I don't know where the hell I am. I don't know where the hell I'm going. You got to talk to me. I said, Vince, I've been telling you. I've been telling you for the last minute what to go to. I said, well, God damn it. If I don't do it, then write it fucking down. And I'm still holding the card with the throw to whatever the hell it was in my hand all right in front of him. And I stick it right up in between us in his face. And he looks at the card and he reads it. He goes, fuck you. Fuck. <laughs> it just tears it up. <laughs> what the hell else can I do? And at that point I took my headsets off and I just walked to the back because there was nothing I could say. There was nothing I could do. Just take your it was just, I, we're going to have it out on the way back, and, and that is what it is. But traditionally, after every Raw, there would be – because Vince did commentary. So Vince was kind of handcuffed during the Raw broadcast where he did commentary. It was me and Pat in the back, but I kind of had the, the final say as, as it came to television. And if there was something that happened that Vince didn't like or that was fucked up in any way, shape, or form, it was all my fault. So we would get in the cars, Pat would drive, I would sit in the front seat, Vince would ride in the back seat, and Vince would, would be the bartender. And we would argue so much that Pat would pull over in wherever the hell we were and just pull into the first bar he saw. He would get out of the car, go to the other end, other end of the bar, and we would come down and sit with him. He goes, no, you guys go down to the other end. That When you're done arguing, then we get back in the car and go, fuck you both. And Vince and I would go down to the other end of the bar and get our arguing out. And uh, I would learn what a stupid fucking idiot I was. And we would get back in the car and go on to the next town. Then I learned that I would get in the car and I would uh, not say a word. I wouldn't. I just wouldn't talk. Like no matter what I said, it didn't matter anyway. So fuck you. I'm not going to say anything. And then they call, started calling me pout boy. Huh. But there was a point when you reach about your 14th beer of being silent and being called pout boy that you explode. So they kind of knew when I hit about number 12, 13, 14, Mount Vesuvius was coming and then I would explode. Gary on Twitter wants to know what was the plan for the blue mini and Stevie Richards and their version of the Blair witch project. There was no plan. It was a one-off, uh, one-off deal. 
Uh, Jesse on Twitter wants to know, Hey guys, who pitched the Mountie originally? Uh, and can you please karaoke at Forrest Bruce? I don't even know what to karaoke at. How the hell does it go? Uh, I, I don't know, but uh, I'm the Mountie. <laughs> Uh, who, pi- who pitched the Mountie? And uh, there were rumors that this character got some heat with the, uh, the real legit Mounties. Uh, the character definitely got heat with the, uh, legit Royal mounted Canadian police. I think that's it. RMCP. And yeah, they didn't like it at all. We couldn't do the Mountie in Canada. So it, uh, and it got heat everywhere it went. I want to say that it was Pat's idea. But I'd be lying if I said I knew for sure. Afford Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models, and how to think about how to think. Paula, while certainly you can mess up on a million dollars a year, it is far less likely than it is on $30,000 a year. Right. I would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super tight. It was 100%. You need to make more money. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford anything, wherever you listen. All right. Um, Garrett, Greg on Twitter wants to know what's up with Brutus beefcake dressing like a samurai and attacking earthquake. Uh, this only happened for a few weeks and then it was dropped and we got lots of questions about it. Do you remember this? I do remember it. It was during the time that beefcake right after beefcake had had his accident and his face had caved in and he had his titanium face rebuilt. And the idea was they were going to build a mask for Brutus to wear to protect his face. And it was short-lived. It just didn't, the the mask never really came to be, uh, the full protective mask, and it just pretty much sucked. Uh, Will on Twitter wants to know, do the boys get Vince a Christmas present? Does he get them the Jelly of the Month Club? No, Vince does not get them anything, and... uh, some some get him Christmas gifts. Do you, does one in particular stand out, like a Christmas gift that somebody may have given Vince that uh, was either awful and it became a running joke, or one that was so awesome that everybody was really impressed, like wow, or something he used all the time, or anything stick out about a Vince Christmas present? No, but I used to love it when uh, the buildings would give him gifts and stuff like that because he would just, ah, oh, here you go, pal. What the fuck am I going to do with this? And uh, so I got some nice jerseys and sweatshirts and stuff from from them giving Vince things. Yeah. Uh, Will on Twitter wants to know, have any of the children of the boys ever been backstage and totally screwed something up? Do the Samoans count? Yep. Got a good story? (laughs) No, not really. I I used to have the kids... uh, Kids were all scared of me because I would yell at them whenever it was time to shoot backstage. And I would always bellow out, quiet! And it would always scare them, and I would yell at them and make them freeze wherever they were, whoever had kids backstage. But for the most part, they were fairly well-behaved. Ray Mysterio's kid, Dominic, he was always a lot of fun, and he would help me, and he always used to call me the fat, sweaty guy. Well, there you go. And he will. Uh, Rich on Twitter uh, wants to know, why did most of the old managers and even announcers like Gorilla Monsoon wear pinky rings? 
because it was a fashion back then. I even had a pinky ring. It was cool. I had a nugget pinky ring, BP on it. It was just a fashion. It was it was cool. Seems mafioso now in hindsight. Uh, David A. wants to know, when was uh, the moment you've seen Taker at his angriest? And what or who pissed him off? Huh. Angriest. Well, that's hard. That's hard to say. I I don't really know. Um, It was probably outside of the ring. But yeah, maybe, maybe in a bar, somebody being disrespectful to somebody else. Um, Somebody picking on somebody. Taker wasn't real fond of people picking on somebody smaller than them. He would always take up for them. Uh, Scott Callum on Twitter wants to know, uh, I would love to know what's usually under the ring. If a worker is waiting for his spot, food, drink, monitor. Well, there would be a monitor. There would be a headset and, uh, there would be food and of course, a lot of drink. And then there would usually be a, a big jar or a Gatorade, large Gatorade bottle, uh, in case they have to urinate while they're under there. And, uh, ear, earplugs because of the pyro. And that's about it. Usually a mattress, not a mattress, but it's like a patch out on the concrete. Yeah. Blankets and stuff. So they're not on the hard, cold concrete. Or sometimes when you get under there and they've got the ice skating rink down, oh, yeah. all you have is wood. It's colder than a witch's tit under there. See, I said tit because I got criticized for saying colder than a witch's you know what. And then three seconds later, I said, fuck last week so i'm just gonna go ahead and say witch's tit fuck the witch's tit how's that okay that's a t-shirt uh we got lots of questions about this bruce uh because uh, don Callis recently appeared on talk is jericho if you haven't listened to his show you should go check it out jericho is doing a phenomenal job over at podcast one uh, he frequently has great wrestling guests and they talk about stuff other than wrestling which is really awesome for a change every now and again uh, but Callus told a story about you, and this guy didn't want to reference it, so instead he asked this way, or so I guess. Greg wants to know, love to know your thoughts on the Jackal. I always felt he could have done more with that character. Well, as far as uh, the Jackal and all that goes, that was an idea of Bret Hart. But before that... Don was coming in as uh, a tag team with Rick Martell as the models. And they came in and Rick at the last minute kind of flaked out and Rick went to WCW and there was really no, uh, no tag team. And since Rick had been the model to bring Calvis in as a model at that point, didn't really make any sense. The tag team worked, but the, uh, the single thing didn't work. And then Bret Hart had an idea to do this truth commission thing with a friend of his from South Africa. And that didn't work out. And Brett says, well, Hey, what about Don Callis? And Vince wasn't, Vince wasn't really high on Callis at the time. He liked the model idea and was doing that for Rick Martell. When that didn't work out, it was, he just didn't see a whole lot in Don and Don was a good worker and Don was a good, uh, Good stick man had a good promo, but it was the, the whole truth commission thing was a disaster. It just, 
it wasn't real. It didn't feel real. Uh, it was a bunch of guys that that Brett wanted to bring in at the time. And this was his idea. And, and it was during the time that, that Vince had told Brett, we really want your ideas. We want you to help. And goddamn, pal. And this was Brett's first big idea to bring guys in and do something with. And Vince wanted to to get behind it and do it. Uh Don tells a story in there that you ultimately let him go and said that you were letting him go when he pressed you. Uh, you said something along the lines of you've gotten yourself over at the expense of the talent and that nobody wants to work with you. Something along those lines. I'm paraphrasing. Uh, do you have anything you can elaborate on there? I don't remember that. I just remember that at the time he was probably the most expendable of the group. And Vince wasn't high on his work and didn't want to use him as a worker and only saw him as a mouthpiece, but felt that he took away from the talent that he was managing as a mouthpiece and trying to get himself over versus getting his talent over. You took a little bit of heat, uh, online for that. Not a lot, but a little bit because people felt like it was you personally letting him go. or you personally not being a fan of his work? Are you personally thinking that he was getting himself over you're kind of handing the heat baton right there to Vince McMahon. Is it fair well, to say that that was a Vince call and you were just the, uh, you know, the messenger, so to speak? Here's here's what I love. Okay, is when it's the age old adage: when it's great news and when it's good, by God, Vince is a genius. When it's bad, Bruce is a fucking asshole and a dumbass. And so, for the same people that. We'll talk about, oh, well, you know what? Pritchard's a kiss ass, and he has no uh, no credibility. He's just there to be a yes man for Vince, this, that, and the other thing. And Then you fire guys. And But, but if they don't get over or if they uh, get fired or let go, well, that Pritchard buried me. If I'm just a yes man, right. if I have no influence, if I'm no good at what I do or anything else – then what does my word burying you, how does, how does that have any bearing on anything? So you can't have it both ways. Being in talent relations, as, as I've said before, is, man, that's the heat position. And I was in the heat position for 22-plus years in WWE. I was in the heat position at TNA. And there's no love lost there. I mean, you're, you're the guy that hires and fires people. You're the hero when you're hiring them, and you're the zero when you're firing them. But somebody has to do it. That was my job. It's what I had to do. I had to carry the message. Sometimes it was my decision. A lot of times it was other people's decision. But I'm the one that had to deliver the news. Tried to do it as nice as I could. Sometimes, you know, I probably could have been nicer. And that's on me. But you can't have it both ways. Either I'm just a yes man and I have no power at all, or I'm the guy that buried you and derailed your career. Specifically. Specifically with the Jackal, your call or Vince's call to let him go? Oh, God, that was probably Vince's call. And the reason I I say that is because that whole whole angle and that whole idea had come from Brett, and it just didn't work out, and he tried to make it work. And I even believe – I think Brett was gone by then as well, but it was one of those things that Vince wanted to try and make work and – yeah, unfortunately, it just didn't work out. Uh, Kevin on Twitter wants to know, was Hogan Warrior 2 ever considered for WrestleMania 7? Why or why not? 
No, because Vince didn't like babyface matches and didn't feel that Hogan Warrior 1 was a big success. All right. Um, Mike on Twitter wants to know, and he asked a question we got a lot. What was the original plan when Vince's limo blew up? How was that supposed to end? A funeral. Vince dies. He's dead. The You know what? The original plan was simply a way to get Vince off of TV. As crazy as that sounds, that was the original plan. It was simply, well, I wouldn't be on TV if I was dead. So, <laughs> you laugh. I didn't expect you, uh, that. Dude, you, you wouldn't believe some of the conversations we've had over the years. <laughs> I've got to get off TV. <laughs> kill me. Just kill me. Not yeah. a stretcher angle or something like that. No, just kill, kill me. Kill dead. me. <laughs> Have a funeral, everything. I'm dead. But and, how, how was he supposed to? What's the plan to come back? Well, eventually, you know, maybe they'll just forget about me. <laughs> the it, it was so it was so convoluted, and it was. Oh but the the original intent was to get him off TV, to get Vince off of TV, have the funeral, and carry on without him, and. You know, he would always say, God damn, when I die, well, I, I hope they I hope they miss a beat for a day. But after that, God damn it, it's business as usual. I don't want them to miss a beat. I hope they do miss a beat for like a day, maybe. But his his thing was is he wanted to be off of TV. He felt the only way to do that was to kill himself off. No different than than what they would do on. Uh, well, that's what they did on Dallas. Actually, Vince, the Jr. was just shot. <laughs> he didn't die. Um, some of the references could be a little dated, but is the idea and the concept behind it was that on television shows they kill off characters all the time. That's kill him off. Oh my gosh, I love it. Um, Matthew on Twitter wants to know who thought of the Billy and Chuck wedding and what was the fallout from that angle. I don't know there was really any fallout. I don't know that, that there was necessarily fallout at all. Uh, that was a Vince idea. And we had always been accused of being anti-gay and, and homophobes. And it was his idea to, to have characters that extolled, you know, not being a gay stereotype, I guess, was the original idea behind it. And just try to treat it as normal. And, you know, that, that's coming from, you know, WWE treatment of normal. Who would have voted for I'll that? just kill him. Who would have voted for that idea and who would have said, I don't know if this is a good call. I don't know. There wasn't necessarily a vote. It was kind of like, this is what we're doing with these characters. Both guys were on board with it. And I say both, all three guys were. We had Rico Constantino involved in that. They were all on board with it. And they liked the idea. It was something different. It hadn't been done. There hadn't been a a overtly homosexual character that wasn't in the gay stereotype. You know, overly flamboyant and just every bad gay, gay stereotype that you can think of. 
And this was an opportunity to present them as just two athletes that happened to be gay that, um, and then at the end, you know, we just kind of shit all over it and abandoned it. Um, James Parnell asks, how close was Vince, uh, to really showing up at Eric Bischoff's offer for a fight on the WCW Slambury pay-per-view? I'd say he considered it for about a half a second, but then like, nah, why give him the credibility of showing up? And ultimately, uh, the thing that kept him from doing it, you've told me before, was he had another thing scheduled that day. Well, that too. Yeah. But he, yeah, he never, he wouldn't have shown up. Do you want to share what the thing was? I don't remember what it was. Off Stephanie, head, was Stephanie was graduating. Oh, the little thing. Yeah. So you've told, I mean, I could be wrong. Yeah, I'm, I mean, I would have to look it up, but I mean, ask me here. I can't tell you exactly where the hell the guy was on that day. Okay. I do remember, but but also when you say, did he consider it? Yes, he considered it. Yes, we even discussed it with attorneys and what would happen if. But it was never, I don't think it was ever seriously considered. Why? We were winning at that point. Yeah, that's the thing. You know, that's always kind of been Vince's deal is if you're behind – then you mention them and talk shit all the time. But if you're ahead, they don't exist. There you go. Um, good old school question here. I love questions from this era. Gabriel PR on Twitter wants to know about the James Buster Douglas booking a special referee for the main event. He beat Tyson. We had Tyson booked and uh, bastard lost. <laughs> we had all the shows done. We, we had even recorded the voiceovers talking about uh, Tyson retaining his title in Japan against James Buster Douglas. And those were gone, man. They were, they were out for delivery for the next week where we were going to be plugging the, the, whole, uh, the whole fight with Randy and, and Hulk with Tyson as referee. And that night... I get a phone call. I was in, I was in Houston and I get a phone call. He lost. I'm like, who? My first weekend off in forever. Right. And I'm like, who? Tyson. He lost. Fuck you. Who the hell did he fight? Who did he lose to? I didn't even know who he, who Buster Douglas was. Most people didn't. And called Vince. I was like, hang on, pal. I'm on the other line with Tokyo and he was talking to Don King on the other line and Tyson pulled out. There, there was, there was about a day or two that Tyson was still going to make it and still, uh, do the referee gig. And then he said, no, he wouldn't do it. Well, hang on. You guys would have still used him even though he lost the pivot. He was still, the, he was still the biggest name in boxing. Oh, for sure. But I guess what I'm getting at is the pivot wasn't on your end; it was on his end. Correct. Wow, that's yeah. interesting to me. I would have never imagined that that was the way that goes down. Yeah, and so um, Basil Devito, I believe, is the one that reached out to Buster's management, and he was right there when he landed in the U.S. and we signed him up. Wow. That's amazing. That's, I don't know why that fascinates me, but I just never would have imagined that. 
Uh, DJ Lewis, man, he was bringing the heat on some good questions this week. He on Twitter wants to know, uh, what did the WWE think when road dog and Billy Gunn formed VKM and TNA and started calling out triple H and Shawn Michaels by their real names. Do you remember that? Vaguely, we, we weren't paying any attention to TNA at that time. And it was like, Oh, kind of a giggle. Okay. Hey, great. But they weren't, they didn't have an audience. There wasn't that much to it that it was like, Oh my God, someone said that Shawn Michaels, real name is Michael Higginbottom or Paul Levesque. Who cared? I mean, do you remember there being any discussion about fuck those guys? They're done. Well, how'd that work out for him? Road dog, road dog's head of creative now and doing great. Couldn't happen to a nicer guy, which, uh, by the way, just, uh, since I don't know when we'll ever talk about him, but we probably will, but you, you look at road dog and you look at his past and all the different challenges that he's had throughout his life. And now he's on top of the world, heading up creative for WWE from, from a wrestling family, Great. You had great ideas then, and I'm proud as shit of him and, and happy as hell for him that he's doing what he's doing now. But it's, uh, it's, it's fascinating to me that there are certain guys that Vince just really appreciates. And I think, you know, respects the work and their work ethic, uh, because they get second chances and they really become really good stories. You know, great friend of the show, Michael Hayes has had some challenges in his life and he's been there forever. I mean, like a really long time, decades and decades. And now Road Dog's at the top after, you know, having some personal challenges as well. And I just think it's a testament to Vince being willing to take a chance on a guy and give another guy, give a guy a second chance. Well, some guys. Well, I'm trying to be positive, but it is. But, but hey, I I mean, seriously, you look at, you look at the guys that they have put through rehab numerous times and saved lives. Yeah. And, and you do have success stories and you do have a guy like Jesse James who, uh, you know, I could tell you stories that would curl your hair, but at the end of the day, the human being behind that persevered and and is a success story. And that's something that should be shouted from the mountaintops. Yeah. And, uh, we hope there's more, you know, like that because there's still some folks out there who are, you know, needing that second chance. Uh, DJ Lewis on Twitter. Another great question from him. Who played the part of Zach Gowan's mom? And His why? mother, Mrs. Gowan. Well, there you go. Uh, he mentions it because apparently she no-sold the destruction of her son when Brock Lesnar just... And man, if you have not seen Brock Lesnar destroy Zach Gowan or that doesn't ring a bell, uh, it is worth throwing in your Google machine. Wow. Um, wow is right in trying to console her afterwards and not fully understanding the, because we asked Zach, you know, it was, Hey man, you know, what can you do? What do you, and he was, Zach was a, he was a player. He was willing to do any and everything. And I don't think anybody anticipated the brutality. Well, we did, but (laughs) it's another level. If you haven't seen it, it is another level and you should go see it. It's something else. But, but Zach's mom especially didn't anticipate it would be as bad as it was. And she was hysterical backstage. I can imagine it was, uh, it's something else. Now let's talk about, uh, something fun. Danny on Twitter wants to know any great hall of fame or mania after party stories. 
No. Uh, <laughs> is he the one that mentioned something about Sherry Martell in an after party? Uh, yeah, I didn't know if you wanted to elaborate on that. I don't know what the hell he was talking about. And it's funny because with the WrestleMania parties, there were a group of us that we would make an appearance and get the hell out because the WrestleMania parties were work. full of, well, they were work a, but they were also full of the people from the office and advertisers and everybody that you only see one time a year. All right. And that come to the party and act like they drew the house. So for thus, for those of us that were there, uh, every single week and, and doing it day in and day out, we had to get up the next day and go produce two more days of TV. Right. So staying out at, at the WrestleMania parties and things like that, that wasn't necessarily always our gig. I, I've done a few and and had a you know a few good times, but for the most part, I'd like to make an appearance and you know smile and wave and get the hell out because I didn't want to be a part of the craziness. When did they start doing the wristband gimmick for those? Probably 2003, maybe 2003, 2004 in that, in that time frame. Uh, it is overrated as a fan. I was able to tag along, uh, with our buddy Rick and, uh, you've heard a lot about these as a fan and then you go and you're like, okay, got it. Yeah. I mean, it's not what people imagine. Yeah, food's usually good, but I hate waiting in line for a drink. 70 people deep. Yes, and I just didn't want to be around all those people, again, that you only see once a year that that are there like they... And you wait an hour for a Jim Beam and Coke. Right. Um, John asks a great business question. Uh, we got a few different variations of this, but I would love to know how the WWF handled third party bookings and why it stopped in the late nineties. Lots of questions about why did you do this? What was the thought behind doing this? Uh, but I'd love to hear the process of how it happened and then why the decision was made to stop. Are you talking about third party wrestling bookings or third party appearance bookings? Well, let's, let's do both. Okay. Well, the wrestling bookings is, is easy. We, we did it. They paid, uh, the WWE and then we paid the talent. Uh, we kept a percentage of that. The reason it was stopped was because of insurance and because guys getting hurt, not knowing who the hell they're going to work with, not knowing the condition of the rings and the work atmosphere. Um, that's pretty easy why that was stopped. As far as the personal appearances, things of that nature, it was kind of the same thing that WWE wanted to control more of their appearances and felt that they could make the money with the fan fest and being able to go higher end with the wizard worlds and comic cons of that nature. Uh, and that process is somebody inquires with the office, they send them a contract, they overnight a deposit, and then they pay a balance within a certain number of days or whatever. Correct. That, that was it. We had a we had a department that just did that. Uh, all right, good deal. Um, here's a fun one. Another one from our good friend DJ Lewis. How was Jenna Jameson to work with, and were there plans to put Val Venus with other adult stars? 
Jenna Jameson was naked in my bed. Yeah. At your house. At my house. Yeah. She was naked in my hot tub at my house. And you're and you're married at the time. She walked through my backyard naked, wearing nothing but uh bandolero gimmick across her chest. Yeah. Yes, I was married. And my wife asked me um midway through the day, she says, So exactly how do you know this person again? I said, She does movies. She's an entertainer. Uh, Jenna Jameson was an absolute joy to work with. Uh, pro all the way. Um, easy as pie. <laughs> I mean that in a business way. Not. Uh, she actually had her boyfriend with her that traveled with her and, and came to the shoot. Um, so but, what's that? I didn't say anything. Continue. Oh. But she was just nice as could be. Uh, she was great to work with and. Uh, just a pro all the way through. It was one of those situations. Wait, one of those deals where, God damn, I got to get that right. I got to get my own shit down. Got to get my shit in, motherfucker. But Val Venus, we've been doing the porn star gimmick. And I thought, what better way? And Jenna was looking to get into the wrestling business. And we talked all the time. I had the connection through Paul Heyman. And... This would be a great introduction. So we said, damn, Vince, what if we had the number one adult film star in the world endorse Val Venus? And he wasn't crazy about it, which no one really understood because we're promoting the guy as a former porn star. Why not use the most recognized and the the greatest porn star in the history of the business, probably next to Ron Jeremy. He thought it was too him. real. He thought it was too real. I guess so. I, I Again, I still don't get it. If you're going to say the guy is a former porn star, then go with it. I mean, where does the line, where's that line drawn? I never figured that one out. But the funniest part was, was after we delivered the first vignette back to him, his reaction was, ugh, God. She looks like a porn star or something. Now I'm thinking that's good. <laughs> that's the idea. That's the gimmick we've we've that's, gone with. That's the gimmick. She looked like Jenna Jameson because, well, she was, and he wasn't impressed. The and he was the only person not impressed. <laughs> Uh, but overall, Jenna Jameson, an absolute professional uh, through and through, a joy to work with, a really nice person, and um, she's cool as shit. I feel like we've learned a lot about you on this show. Between Heather Hunter and uh, Jenna Jameson, you had some interesting contacts. Uh, John Lewis on Twitter wants to know, someone I haven't heard anything about, Captain Lou. What's your best story? <laughs> Captain Lou. I came when I came in, Albano had already been on the way out. And then Albano came back in to manage uh, the Samoans and do some different stuff with us. Lou was a character and Lou liked to drink. And there were old stories of Vince um, giving Albano 
vodka all throughout the day and getting Albano drunk, or, or Pat would give Albano vodka all throughout the day, getting Albano drunk so that when Albano got in Fred Blassie's car at the end of the night, he was a mess. By the time that I was around Lou, Lou had, quote, stopped drinking, but uh, let's just say that Lou might have been sneaking a, a drink or two during the day. And Vince had a habit of sicking Albano on other people so that he didn't have to deal with him. Goddamn, Lou, I don't know. Go talk to Bruce. Go talk to Pat. So he would do this shit and then disappear, and we would have to deal with Lou. And he'd come up, hey, Bruce, uh, Vinny said that uh, you guys had a spot for me on TV. Uh, when, when do I go out? When do I go out? And I'm sitting at Gorilla, and I'm doing a live show, and I've got Albano standing in front. When do I go out, kid? When do I go out? Well, Vince is out doing commentary. I know that Vince has sicked him on me. Oh, Bruce, Bruce, Bruce got a spot for you in the live show. Just go see Bruce. So I cured him of that. In the middle of a live Raw, I said, now, Lou, just just go down to the announce table at the end of this match and fuck with Vince. Got it, kid. Match ended. Albano went. And I'm talking to Kevin. I said, Kevin, I said, just go go back to the announcers and uh, Albano's coming out. And he's like, what the hell's Albano doing? I said, just shoot it for a while and then get off of it. But I told Albano to just fuck with Vince till we send somebody down. And Albano went out on live TV and started messing with Vince, and that cured him of sicking Albano on Go me. see Vince. Go see Bruce. Yeah. No more yeah. of that. Exactly. Uh, DJ Lewis. Telling you, DJ me. again. This some bitch just, he wrote the show this week, basically, he did. didn't he? He wrote this shit, and you can too at prowrestlingtees.com forward slash Bruce Pritchard. Were, there, uh, were any raw roulette wheel spins legitimately random? What kind of goddamn question is that? <laughs> Uh, John Lewis on Twitter wants to know who would get the Godfather, his hose in a given city <laughs> and what research was done in hiring. Oh me. Oh my. What research? <laughs> well, you had to do research for fuck's sake. Well, sure. <sighs> I'm put on uh, in the beginning I did. Uh, surprise, then, surprise. I know. Surprise, surprise. Well, you would. Make con- but then I, I was able to pass that off to a gentleman by the name of Matt Miller, who now is uh, manager of the building in Cleveland. Great guy. Uh, and Matt kind of took those duties over for me. But it, it, it was tough. It wasn't as easy. You know, trying to find a, a hoe in Omaha is that's where we came up with the term Omaha's. I think we can do that. What's that? I think find a hoe in Omaha. Yeah. Well, it's a little more difficult than you would think. We all thought this would be a pretty easy, you know, cherry job to find the girls come out with the Godfather. It wasn't always as easy as it looked, and and uh, you would you would contact local uh, establishments, gentlemen's club establishments, and, and see who would be interested and in maybe sending some of their fine females out to accompany the godfather on his way to the ring and from time to time you might know a hoe or two in a town and say hey you want to go to the ring (laughs) with the godfather and that was pretty much it you might know a hoe or two i think in the day i think that could be the line of the show 
Uh, here's a fun you know, one. You know a hoe or two? Me personally? You personally? No. No? Mm-mm. No Huntsville hoes? Nope. Okay, well, they were all my hoes, so I'll tell just Huntsville hoes, all my hoes, you know. Uh, Chris Bryant. Anaheim hoes. <laughs> this is what we do now. Uh, Chris Bryan on Twitter. Uh, if Bruce's life depended on it, who would he save? The Red Rooster or Jerry Jarrett? I'd kill myself. <laughs> so if you had to save one of them or kill yourself, you're just going to kill yourself. I just, yeah, I get. Okay. I did not expect that answer. Uh, another good question from Chris Bryan. Did the people who did USWA or SMW bookings while in the WWF, let's say Taker, Brett, Sean, etc., ever say no? Do you ever remember a talent turning down or being, you know, needed to be convinced to do a USWA or SMW shot? Or was everybody kind of good about that? Most everybody was good about it. And uh, as I've talked about on other podcasts, you know, there there were even times when guys would volunteer and want to go there and help out. And specifically, you're referencing Triple H to ECW. Yeah. And Taker to ECW and... Lots of people yeah. shit. Lots of people uh, call bullshit on that. By the way, call bullshit on what? That you tried to put it out there that Triple H volunteered to go to ECW. Oh, I'm I'm sorry. Fuck you. I mean, because they all know because they were there. Okay. Yes, he did. As a matter of fact, as a matter of fact, Triple H went out and did the UPW show in California for zero zilch because Taker got hurt one time. And Taker and I were out there for another appearance and Taker had had gallbladder surgery and couldn't do the appearance, couldn't work. And Hunter said, Hey man, uh, I'm near there. I can come by and do that if you want me to and did it for nothing and volunteered to do it out in California for Rick Bassman. And Hunter did that shit all the time and made it very clear. Same thing with the ECW volunteered to go do that. So bullshit on calling bullshit on it. Fuck him. Hunter's not the asshole that he gets credit for being. I mean, he's, he's a businessman and he's, he's a smart guy and he, he knows what the fuck he's doing, but he, he never been an asshole to me and always been pretty easy to deal with. Uh, Brandon Turner. Oh, fuck on you. Twitter. What? What? <laughs> What's going on? Nothing. Nothing. Said so your hair looks nice. You got a little something on your nose there. Brandon mm-hmm. Turner on Twitter wants to know. I know you weren't there, but you can tell us the story of what you've heard uh, about the encounter between Vince and Nails. We get this all the time. I was there. I wasn't in the room, but I was there. And it all stemmed from a conversation of uh, Nails being upset with, uh, I believe it was a WrestleMania payoff or some kind of payoff, but it was also upset over, uh, a fine that he had received and he went in to talk to Vince and he got heated and he jumped Vince and I think Sarge, uh, Arnold Skolan, I don't know who else got in and pulled him off, but I don't think it lasted more than 10 seconds, 15 seconds most. It was a lot of, you know, loud yelling and screaming and crash, and it was over. And then he accused Vince of uh, sexually harassing him. 
Yeah. Did you ever witness Vince sexually harass nails? I did not. Was this just the smartest, easiest way to do a money grab at the time? <laughs> it was just ridiculous. Uh, Daryl on Twitter wants to know, did anyone ever lose a championship belt or have any fun belt stories? Ted DiBiase and I misplaced the million dollar belt one day. <laughs> I love you didn't lose it. You just misplaced it. This sounds like a good story. Yeah, it was misplaced. We found it. It was okay. So you're going to tell us the story? Uh, were shouldn't that be a shouldn't that be a tease when when we do the million dollar man uh good. podcast because it's a good story it's it's one of those like holy fuck stories it, it's one of those calling vince at 245 in the morning stories okay well we will we will circle back to that let's ask another belt question though dj lewis who booked this show uh, would love to know the rock had a custom Brahma bull belt made and it's seen every year at access. Why was it never used on TV? Because it took too long to get made. And by the time that it was made, rock had already dropped the title. And so, uh, they just kept it and never brought it back out again. Uh, Danny on Twitter asks, is it true that a tape of Owen's tragic fall exists? And have you seen it? Nope. It doesn't exist or you haven't seen it. I've never seen any tape of it. I, I have he- no idea if it exists. I've never seen it. No. I hear the tape exists and it's marked do not watch. Will that surprise you? Not even going to comment on that. No. Uh, this guy, EZ, uh, asks on Twitter, can you talk about the legend that is Tom McGee? Tom McGee. We get that this was going to be the next the Hulk time. Hogan. Huh? We get this all the time. If you're not familiar with the backstory, there's this rumor, and maybe it's not a rumor. Bruce, I want you to clear this up, that this guy looked like a million bucks and that Vince thought he had found his next Hulk Hogan based on this guy's phenomenal look. He had a bodybuilder background. He supposedly had all this other kind of experience in martial arts and training and was a legit badass and yada, yada, yada. And they thought, hey, this is our next matinee idol. This is our next you know, the guy we're going to strap the rocket to. And he goes out and has a match with Bret Hart that many people say was a really phenomenal match. No tape exists of this that I've ever seen, or I even know anybody who's seen, but people talk about this match and it seemingly grows in legend every year that this guy was supposed to be the guy to have the keys to the kingdom. But in his subsequent matches, he could never put it together. And as you like to say, and then the bell rang. So what's rumor, what's innuendo, what really happened with the legend that is Tom McGee? Well, all that's true. Uh, Tom McGee was prior to the creation of Brock Lesnar when Brock's parents uh, got happy one night and made him into the prototypical just stud badass, there was Tom McGee who looked great standing there, a good-looking young guy, great body, could stand in the middle of the ring and do backflips and land on his feet, incredible agility, Um, came in, and everybody raved about, holy cow, this, this this guy could be the guy. You know, he had hair. Hogan was losing his. So that was a plus. 
And they came in and Vince made the comment at Gorilla that this is this is going to be my next Hulk Hogan. And he did. He worked with Bret Hart, and Bret got, but Bret could work with a broomstick and make the broomstick look like uh, Jack Briscoe. So the match was great. And then, by God, they put him in with someone else, and it stunk. And of course, it was the other guy's fault that it stunk. Well, you know, the other guy's the shits. And then they put him in with somebody else, and then somebody else, and then somebody else. And they all stunk. And the only common denominator was one Tom McGee. And it just, they they tried to work with him. They, they tried to teach him. They put him on the road every night and had him work, and he just didn't get it. Kind of colorless, odorless, tasteless. But in an 8x10, motherfucker looked great. And then that bell rang. And if Bret Hart wasn't staring across from him when that bell rang, he was fucked. Do you know, uh, have have you seen the tape of that Bret Hart match? Do you know if that exists? And do you think we would ever see that be released? I doubt it. I was there when it happened. I remember it. There probably is a VHS copy of it somewhere. A lot of times those matches took place when they were changing tapes. Back in the olden days, you had to change tapes. You only had 40 minutes on a tape, and you would have to stop everything down and change, so we would throw matches in the ring, and they would record whatever we were shooting in the ring on VHS or three-quarter. So it exists somewhere, I'm sure. All right. Um, This is another fun one. Brian on Twitter wants to know, I would love to know any thoughts or specific experiences with Wrestler's Court. I'm sure we'll get into more of these when we do an Undertaker episode. Um, but we as fans have always heard that the undertaker was the judge, uh, poke some holes in that and kind of walk us through what wrestlers court may have been like. Wrestlers court is kind of like the fact, uh, the fight club. What happens in wrestlers court stays in wrestlers court. And that's all there is to it. So you're not going to talk about that. No, they don't get everything. Damn it. Okay. Uh, Tony on Twitter wants to know. Uh, since Vince is such a health nut, what is his typical diet in the office and on the road? Chicken and pasta. Pasta and chicken. Dry chicken. Dry pasta. Flavorless, tasteless, dry grilled chicken. Just nothing good. Uh, Salvatore on Twitter wants to know, um... Gino Hernandez was Paul Bosch's bastard son, true or false? I don't know. That's rumor has been uh, out there for a long time, and a lot of people swear to it, and some people swear the other way. So um, I think that uh, the, the only folks that know are no longer with us. While we're on Gino, you know what the next question is going to be. Tom Dillon on Twitter what are Bruce's thoughts on the death of Gina Hernandez and the rumor and innuendo about the circumstances of it? Well, the, wow. Um, I don't know what all, well, I do know a lot of the rumor and innuendo surrounding it. Gino died of an acute drug overdose. Um, I do know that as fact from the, uh, medical examiner himself, because, I was 
a part of that conversation with Gino's mom and, and Paul Bosch when the medical examiner was explaining what Gino died of. He, and he was ruled that he died of an acute cocaine overdose. There were a lot of rumors. There was one rumor that he was shot in the head, and that is not the case. But there were, Gino was at a place in his life where he was running with um, a fast crowd, and Gino gambled a lot. But, again, that's unfortunately one of the situations that the, the people that know the answers to that you know, unfortunately, is no longer with us. But it was a sad, sad time. And um, Gino, had he lived, I believe, would have been one of the biggest stars that this business ever would have had. Uh, Salvatore on Twitter wants to know: Can Vince speak in Carney? Sure. Uh, Brian on Twitter wants to know: Did Vince ever get involved in any ribs, or what was the best rib pulled on Vince? Well, the best rib that never happened to Vince was during the holidays, Vince would sometimes go to Florida for a couple of weeks. He had a beautiful home down there, and now he's got a beautiful condo on the beach in Boca Raton. And Pat Patterson and I, there was this giant, uh, you know those big concrete statues that people have in their yards? Yeah. But I'm talking big ones. I'm talking the, the ones that are, you know, 10, 12, 15, 20 feet high and weigh thousands of pounds, and they have to bring them in with a crane and shit like that. There was one of those places that sold those uh, in Stanford, Connecticut, on the way to the studio, the back way from, from Norwalk that Pat and I always used to pass by. And we started laughing one day. We said, wouldn't it be great if while Vince is in Florida and he had a, a huge courtyard in front of his house where you could park maybe 10, 12 cars out in front of his house and then walk into the front door. <laughs> and so we go by and we talk to um, the folks at the the lawn decoration place and I'm like going, so here's what we'd like to do. We'd like to pay you to borrow these for a couple of days. And we'd like to pay to have them delivered. And then you'd have to come and pick them up and take them away because obviously they can't stay there because they wouldn't be able to get in and out of their uh, garage and so on and so forth. And we had it all worked out. And it was it was going to cost, I want to say, close to 400 bucks to pull this rib off and somebody got wind of it somewhere, somehow. And Vince got wind of it in Florida and essentially kind of called and threatened me with my life and all kinds of other shit. And, and we pulled the plug on the giant cement statues, but we were going to fill up his courtyard with about five or six of these big statues. It was Pat's idea. I just went and talked to the guy and got the price and figured it out. He loved it. He thought it was hilarious. Since we're talking about ribs, Alan Richards on Twitter would love to know what the best Owen Hart rib was. Probably, um, 
probably Owen calling his dad and impersonating Reggie Parks and getting his belt maker, the belt maker, Reggie Parks. And Reggie was an old time worker and, and, uh, was fancied a tough guy in his day. And Owen called his dad in a hotel and said that he was Reggie Parks and challenged Stu to a fight. And Stu on the other line is like, well, eh, eh, Reg, if you, eh, if you wanted to uh, eh, try me, eh, what, what's, uh, what's taking you so long, Reg? Uh, why didn't you, uh, yeah, why didn't you try me then, Reg? Uh, but uh, if you want to go, Reg, uh, I'm I'm here and uh, and we 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 can do it now. And uh, and Owen's on the other line. Well, you old fucker, I'll kick your ass. And, and well, Reg, uh, you know we we can do it right. And then there's silence. He's like, God damn it, Owen. <laughs> he realized midway through that. It was Owen impersonating Reggie Parks. But uh, the the list of Owen ribs is, is kind of endless. Best Bet on Sports wants to know the backstage talk of the Kurt Angle-Daniel Pewter incident. <laughs> well, um, this is going to sound like I'm making excuses for Kurt, but Kurt was hurt. Kurt never should have been out there in the first place. But at the same time, it was just ill timing. It was, it was the shits. The whole idea was an old school idea of stretching the newcomers coming in and by God, teaching them respect, uh, for the wrestling business, especially you damn shooters think you're so tough and what better guy to put out there than an Olympic gold medalist. But there's one thing to put an, a healthy Olympic gold medalist out there. But to put an unhealthy Olympic gold medalist out there after he's already blown somebody up wasn't good. And Kurt was never supposed to uh, take anybody other than the guy that was that won the deal, whoever that was. It was uh, Dan Rodimer, I think, wasn't it? Big kid. Yeah. Yeah. And then um, and then Pewter and Pewter pissed Kurt off so much that Kurt worked himself into a shoot. And uh, the kid got the got the arm lock on him. Well, so it was a shitty idea. It was ill conceived. I the one of the ideas was to use Nunzio is the shooter, which you know I think would have been even worse. Um, I wanted to use Big Show because nobody was going to get Big Show off off his feet at that time. And, uh, just ill-conceived idea didn't work and, uh, shit happens. You said a minute ago, Rodimer won it, Peter won it, but are you saying, no, 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 no. I'm saying they had a contest that day to, to whoever would get a wrestle, a WWE superstar that being Kurt. And I think it was, uh, Dan Rodimer. I think that was his name. Rodman. Did you guys think that Rodman was really going to be the guy who would win the tournament? And then this segment made Peter the winner to win the overall tough enough. Yeah. Cause um, th- those two guys were the finalists. No. Wasn't that the one Miz was in? No, that was before. Um, Miz was in the first one with, um, 
Nowinski. Okay. Um, God, I don't even remember, but I know that Pewter was not uh, somebody they thought was going to win. And I would, I would say of people that I wanted to win, I would have said Rodimer. I would have liked to have had Rodimer. He turned out to be nothing much, but um, I liked his look, and he had personality, and he had balls. He got in trouble. Rodimer got in trouble at a developmental camp for doing an impression of uh, me and Johnny Ace. I loved it, and and you can guess he didn't like it. Uh, so I was mistaken. Miz was not in the first one. The guy who was, though, is somebody we got a question about, and we, I don't know that we're ever going to talk about him again, so let's hit it now. Uh, memories of Maven. Maven was a good good kid. You know, he he came out of that thing and had a lot of natural athletic ability. We tried everything with him. We tried, you know, sprinkling him with Undertaker dust and putting him in a program with Undertaker and trying to make him look like a million bucks, but they just didn't buy it. They just didn't buy it. I think any time that you present someone as less than like a newcomer and a rookie. I think rookie has a negative connotation to it in the wrestling business. They're, they're viewed as less than. And when you bring someone in that is not already a star or presented as a star, they've got an uphill battle. And Maven came in as, you know, tough enough, a beginner from nothing. Um, and they just never bought into him. Well, that's a shame. Uh, he went on to have some uh, addiction issues, and I hope that uh, he's doing better. Uh, Michael on Twitter uh, wants to know, uh, Ed Ferrara stated that Vince McMahon has a 15-foot tall painting of himself topless while riding a unicorn in his home. True or false? Uh, that'd be false. Multiple people have said that Vince has a giant painting of himself riding a unicorn in his den. I don't know about the 15-foot tall piece. Are you saying that no Vince does not have a painting of himself in his den? He does have a painting of himself on a motorcycle. Is he is he wearing a shirt? Yes, he is. There's no unicorn or horse involved. No unicorn, no horse. Sorry. So the story of what's the, what do you call it? Telephone, telegram, tell the wrestler becomes Vince has a painting of himself riding a motorcycle becomes Vince is not wearing a shirt, becomes Vince is riding a horse, becomes Vince is topless riding a unicorn. I guess so. There you go. Um, DJ Lewis, another good question. God damn, DJ. He should fill in for me one day. Was there a tentative oh, name for the casino Vince bought? WWF Casino. Well, there you go. That's easy. Uh, was Brian, it? Brian Trost on Twitter wants to know, when was the decision made to have pay-per-view exclusively on Sunday? It's hard to imagine a time when that wasn't the case, but that was not always the case. There were pay-per-views on Saturday and on Thursday and on Tuesday, and they bounced them around. Uh, so what happened here? I think at some point it just became the universal day. I, I can't even remember what the catalyst was. Probably like a focus group. You guys did some research, had some numbers maybe, to support that Sunday was the best day. Yeah. And maybe it was, uh, if I was to take a guess, it'd probably be around the, in your house pay-per-views. There was a regiment every, you know, 
on Sundays, and that became the pay-per-view day. Um, Barry on Twitter wants to know, and this is pretty specific here, in the main event of In Your House Mind Games, Vince gets up from the table and says something to Mick, leading people to think something was changed. True or false? We've, we've pushed this show a few times. It's September of 1996. Uh, ECW was in the front row. It's in Philadelphia. Uh, it's mankind's first main event in the WWF. He's taking on Shawn Michaels, a phenomenal match. And I didn't remember this at all, but apparently Vince gets up from the table where he's working as a, a broadcaster and says something to mankind. Do you remember this at all? I, I don't remember that specific incident. I remember that match. It was one of the greatest ever. But I don't remember that specifically Vince getting up and saying anything to him. I know the finish was what the finish was supposed to be, but couldn't tell you. Sorry. Uh, does the uh, DJ Lewis again, does the WWE get their ladders specially made or are they local hardware store purchases? Specially made and ordered. Do you know by who? Um, somebody from whoever makes ladders. It was originally special order from Home Depot. And they had, you know, ladder companies that did the double-sided ladders. So they just ordered a shitload of them. Does the ladder company paint them, or do you guys have prop guys locally paint them? Magic guys paint them. Magic guys, sorry. Uh, PWMMA wants to know, what was Bruce's first thoughts of working with CM Punk, and how much heat did he really generate? (laughs) Punk probably generated more heat backstage than he did in front of the camera. But for me... Uh, I always liked CM Punk because he had a genuine love for the business. He was a fan. He enjoyed the business and he was different and he didn't take people's shit. And I like that. I, I like the fact that he stood up and was unique in his own way. And For somebody to come into a business that was heavy on a reputation of drugs and partying and all this stuff and be a straight-edge guy and denounce drugs and partying, uh, not just publicly but backstage to the guys, um, that was taken as a negative when it should have been taken as a positive. You think about the message. Don't do drugs. Don't drink. Lead us a straight-edge life. It was... He was different, so I liked him. I I took the time to sit and talk to him and try to get to know him. And once you actually had conversation with him, you found out he was a a pretty interesting guy. And I think that at the very beginning that he was just viewed as this anti-social, anti-everything that the business has been built on asshole. And he could carry himself as an asshole. He could be aloof. He could come off as very cocky and a know-it-all. But once you get past all that, you find out that there's something else behind it. And I, I personally like the guy. I think, he's a, I think he is a hell of a talent. Jack on Twitter wants to know, is it true per Nova's RF video shoot that Bruce saw Amish Roadkill from ACW as a potential WrestleMania opponent for The Undertaker? I did. I did. I looked at him and I saw him. I didn't know who the hell he was. And I saw him without the gimmick on in just short trunks and boots. 
and he stood out in the class that was at OVW at the time. And we were looking for opponents for Undertaker. And I don't know. I don't know. <coughs> pardon me. Uh, I don't know if it was. Matter of fact, I don't think it was at all for WrestleMania. It was actually for an opponent after WrestleMania for Taker to have a short run with, but a guy, a heel to be built up in vignettes and come in and just go around once and put the Undertaker over. But bringing him in as an old-fashioned, just nasty wrestling heel, nothing like uh, Amish Roadkill. He, he, his hair was different. He shaved his head and had a big beard and just wrestling trunks and was a big guy. And was decent in the ring, but it wasn't for it wasn't for WrestleMania, and it wasn't for a long program. It was for a one-off opponent to go around and put the Undertaker over. Uh, Livio on Twitter wants to know: Rumor and innuendo are that the higher power in '99 could have been DiBiase or Jake. Any truth to that? No. Uh, who was supposed to be the higher power? Was the original idea always Vince? No, the original idea was to be the fallen angel, Christopher Daniels. That and Vince, is another show. Yeah, it uh, sure is. When, and Vince, Vince saw him and said, absolutely not. Okay, well, now I don't even want to put it off anymore. Well, what didn't Vince like? Size. Okay. Just, just didn't see it. Who pushed for him? That was the Russo. Original. Okay, so Russo wanted him. And Russo would have seen him where? The... He only had like one match in WCW. Oh no, the Chris was working out in uh, California, and oh yeah, okay. Chris was working indies and different things, and I was a big fan of Chris Daniels too at the time, and liked the Fallen Angel gimmick. And I want to say we had Chris under a uh, developmental deal for a little while, and he never got a big break because Vince no. was down on his size. Just didn't see it. Vince looked at him and didn't see it. Hypothetically, he was, he was dead from the get go. Hypothetically. If Christopher Daniel had traps to his ears because he was juiced to the gills, he'd have got a shot. I, there was something about Chris looked good. No, I'm not arguing. He didn't look good. But when you're saying size, are you referring to height? Uh, height. Okay. Height. Height. And, and again, first impressions with Vince looking at him. And I don't know where Vince saw him or, or what, you know, what the presentation was at all. But all of a sudden it was, um, Nope, not him. Don't have anything for him. But, but the guy can go. Michael on Twitter wants to know, was there ever going to be a brother love figure for the LJN toy line? He was rumored to be in the last unreleased series. That is true. Are you going to give us anything else on that? Apparently there was a prototype made, but I never got my hands on it. And, uh, the LJN relationship ended. So you guys went to Hasbro after that, right? I think so. Yes. What caused the switch from LJN to Hasbro? Well, the, uh, better deal, I guess, just more opportunity, bigger company. The antihistamine on Twitter uh, wants to know what exactly did Shane Douglas do to quote unquote burn the bridge with WWE? I don't know that anybody has ever burnt a bridge with WWE. Part, you, well, you have. I mean, besides you, you oh, fuck, I think I exploded it somehow inadvertently <laughs> on my way out. I'm not really sure what the fuck I did either, but hey, it is what it is. Um, but I, shit, I don't think Shane's burned a fucking bridge at all. I mean, it all. 
it all works itself out in the end. And at the time, Shane being Shane and Shane's an opinionated guy and probably said something that pissed somebody off at the time. Daniel on Twitter wants to know, did you guys ever try to bring in bruiser Brody to the WWF? During my stint, no, and, and, and Brody was gone by about the time I got there. But no, Vince wasn't a big fan of Brody's. Wasn't a big fan because he had a reputation of being difficult to deal with or didn't enjoy Correct. his work? No, he just had a reputation of being difficult to deal with. Uh, I feel like he needs a T-shirt. DJ Lewis asks, did Rock and Austin throw belts into the river? If not, what did they throw? If so, how were they retrieved? Yeah, we threw belts into the river. Uh, so when Austin threw the Intercontinental, did he really throw the Intercontinental or did he throw a tag or something else? Um, Steve, that was in Arkansas, wasn't it? I seem to remember him throwing n- another belt. Because I think it was another belt. I think it was like a shit fucked up belt. Like and, one of the old belts we had. And didn't you tell me once that someone actually fished it out and tried to sell it yes. back to you guys? Yes. What's the story on that? Just that, that they fish it out and try to sell it back to us. I want to, I'm trying to think what the hell belt it was, though. It was a tag it may belt. Have just, it may have just been like an old, it probably, it probably was an old tag belt that was damaged. Uh, Bert on Twitter wants to know about the time Vince shit his pants on SmackDown. <laughs> well, he sharted. Okay. Okay. And he thought he was going to fart and he, he shit. And he walks up the stairs in the gorilla and says, Bruce, where pal? And I'm like, yeah, flipped his uh, jacket up. Says, uh, you see anything? Says, yeah, you shit your pants. God damn it. How about now? And he flipped his jacket down and you couldn't see it. I says, you think they'll be able to tell? It's not going to keep your jacket on. They could be all right there, buddy. And we didn't have time to. For him to go when he didn't, I don't know that he had anything else to wear anyway, but because we were in uh, Nassau, so he didn't have a bag with him or anything. So he went out there with shitty pants. So Vince just sat in his stinky. He sat in his stinky all day. No, this was like, it was the last thing of the night right before he went out. No, he didn't. He went out and then came back and uh, took him off and I guess cleaned up. And Hunter chased Jerry Briscoe around with the shitty underwear and. He put on some uh, warm-up pants. So there you go. There you go. Uh, Papa Shango. Everybody f- shits their pants now and then. I, sh- I shit them last week. It happens. Uh, Papa Shango That's on shirt. Twitter wants to know. Everybody uh, shits their pants now and then. Uh, yeah, I, we got to work on that. We, <laughs> we need uh, like a, a silhouette of the one, two, three kid. Like his, uh, his singlet, but put like the poop emoji. There you go. Yeah. These are creative meetings here on something to wrestle with Bruce Pritchard. Uh, Ico pro. What the hell was that shit? (laughs) That was a product of the world bodybuilding federation and Dr. Fred Hatfield, who was a legendary, um, squatter. He was, he, he was, uh, had the world record for squatting the most Dr. Squat, Fred Hatfield. And he came up with this bullshit. Uh, it was a nutritional supplement, you know. Just did you use? Did horrible. you use any Ico Pro? I did. I did for about two weeks. Couldn't do it, man. The stuff you put under your tongue 
gave me headaches, tasted like shit. Um, the, the bars, the bars were actually pretty good. Vico pro bars. They were decent. How much did, uh, how much of this shit was left in the warehouse when you guys folded it up? Boy, I don't know. It was, you know, even after they closed up the WBF, he still, he still hung on to Icopro for a while. Tried to push it. It was terrible. Uh, Jacob. The name was terrible. Absolutely. I mean, damn, it just was like, okay, but you know, we'll talk about Icopro a little more when we cover some of Vince's ventures out of the business and into other businesses and how all that worked out. Uh, Jacob on Twitter wants to know about the Val Venus choppy, choppy PP. What about it? Choppy, choppy PP. Whose idea was it? Um, Vince Russo. What was the payoff supposed to be? Well, they did pay it off. He got rescued at the last minute. And yeah, that was a, that was a Russo deal, but that see, that's an example of one of those situations where it was just a one sitting around a table and God damn, what have we chopped his dick off? <laughs> and, and, and it grows and you, you talk about ridiculous shit. And then the next thing, you know, it, it, I'll give you a great example. How about having the divas in a, uh, bikini match and the stooges, uh, doing something else. And somehow out of having the divas in bikinis or lingerie, it turned into, we'll put the stooges in evening gowns and have a match. And everybody's looking at everybody else and going, Nobody suggested that. Where the fuck did that come? How in the fuck do we go from beautiful women in scantily clad outfits to Pat and Gerald in drag? It just happens sometimes. Choppy, choppy, pee-pee. I love it. Just happens, man. Uh, two more questions. Is there any wrestling memorabilia? This comes from Jimmy, by the way. Is there any wrestling memorabilia that Bruce Pritchard will keep until he dies? Mm, probably not. I, I'm not really that attached to anything. I have uh, the French Angel Maurice Tillet's death mask, uh, bronzed, which is pretty cool. I have, looking around here, um... I've got my first book of love. I've got stuff from Paul Bosch that has sentimental value, but nothing that, oh my God, I've, I've got to keep forever. There's, there's nothing that is really that sentimental to me. I think the only thing, if you were to tell me I could only take one thing out of my entire house, it would probably be a, an old Victrola that was my wife's grandfather's because it's sentimentally, it means something to her. Anything else? I'd, I'm not that attached to anything. Uh, last one, Mr. James on Twitter. I'm desperate to know who actually owns the Houston wrestling library. I figured we'd save the best for last and let you talk about Houston. And maybe you've got something else you'd like to address. Well, uh, I don't really know the answer to that. I know that it, it was in the possession of Valerie Bosch. And then, uh, there was another entity that, 
that got a hold of the tapes and is trying to do some stuff with them now. So to tell you legally, I have no idea. Um, those tapes were not in the greatest condition. The older stuff was not in the greatest condition back in the day, but there were masters. Well, I say, I'll, I'll do my air quotes, uh, masters of the old best of Texas wrestling series that was syndicated and sold all over the world. But who actually has possession of it and owns it now? I don't really know the legalities of that and, and who owns what. But it's out there somewhere, and there's videotapes of the stuff that uh, was sold in uh, Saudi Arabia, where they sold it way back in the early 80s, mid-80s. But uh, the Houston, the Houston wrestling shows, those were you know some good times. Houston was was a lot of fun, and it's what essentially started my career and, and took me to to places I never imagined I could go. Tune in next week for something to wrestle with Bruce Pritchard. No falls. Are you surprised? Not really. I mean, I'm trying to do new stuff. Well, it's about time. What's it about time for? No, I was just saying, I mean, you know, about time for what? I thought you had something else to say. No, nothing. I was pausing. It was a dramatic pause. Thought you'd like it. Dramatic for what? You know. John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round. Together, it's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on. Right? How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra driver? I think I can get an extra 5 to 10. What if I give you 15 to 20? <laughs> you pay me more. Jeff Smith right? teaches on the sliding scale. <laughs> Those Weekend Golf Guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen.